are the ones I, I, had, uh, I had fun uh, finding some dad jokes. Here we go. So the waiter, do you want a box for your leftovers? No, but I'll wrestle you for them. <laughs> okay, the ones that are chuckling are dads. The rest of you, it's Father's Day. <laughs> he gets it. He got it. So, yeah, not box, wrestle. Okay, here's, here's another one. What kind of bagel can fly? A plain bagel. Yeah, that's a good one. Come on. Here's another one. What does Batman like in his drink? Just ice. Justice. Okay, all right, okay. Let, let's get, this, this one might be my favorite. This is, don't boo my jokes. We will, I think that was my daughter. Yeah. We, we, uh, here's, a, here's one. We've got to be millennial, you know, be correct. We're going to be all political. Here we go. Maybe cho- hot chocolate wants to be called beautiful cho- chocolate once in a while. That's a good one. Uh, that's a good one. Okay, so here, here's my personal favorite. My kid, this is like a classic in my family, and my kids hate it because every time I go into a public bathroom and I see this sign, I come out and say, I went in there for five minutes and no employee came in to wash my hands. You can use it now. It's, it's free for use. I stole it. You can use it. Yeah. <laughs> so, man, we, we have had, uh, we, we're having fun. Uh, we're in this series called Letters to Leaders. So uh, in this series, uh, we've been looking at this man in the Bible named Paul. Now, we, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and we call the books in the Bible books of the Bible. Uh, but really, they're letters, especially the ones that Paul wrote. But most of the New Testament is written as letters. Even, even the book of Acts, most uh, scholars believe that Luke wrote the book of Acts as a way of writing a letter to the, uh, in defense of Paul as he was going on trial in Rome. And so even it was written as a letter saying, hey, we're, as a defensive letter. Um, and now, the, as Paul wrote these, they were written to churches and to leaders in churches. So when you read one, it's, if it says, if one, like the books or the letters are entitled, 1 Corinthians was written to the church in Corinth. Uh, Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus. Then there's like ones that are written to Titus. Titus was the young man that he was mentoring him and leading, uh, helping him become a leader. Each one of those, uh, he's writing, and the, the whole premise of it is, hey, I want to help you become a better leader. And now we've been talking about this from the beginning. We are, as followers of Christ, meant to be leaders. Now, the definition of leader, we have to have a good definition, is that a leader has influence. That's a person who has influence. So, hey, today's a perfect day. Fathers. You have influence because you are a father. You have influence of those around you. Maybe your influence is at work. Maybe it's at your place where you uh, are. Those of you that are in school, well, when you go back to school, wherever you are and you have influence, you are a leader. And so I want to jump in today in looking at this idea of Paul being the the example. That's been our theme verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We've gone here a bunch. Follow my example, Paul says. As I follow the example of Christ. So he says, hey, I'm going to be a leader. I am, I'm leading in this, uh, this, in this area as, as I follow Jesus. You guys should follow my example. And so here he is. But he gives us this beautiful example of what it means to be a father. And what's interesting, it's because Paul doesn't have any biological children. But he says, I am a spiritual father. 
In fact, he even uses the same phrase, I'm going to be, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. He says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He's writing to them, again, to the church in Corinth. And he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. It, doesn't, it almost sounds like a father. I'm not writing to make you ashamed, but I'm trying to admonish you. Or the way I would say it was, hey, I'm not trying to punish you. I'm just trying to help you become better. Right? That's a, that's a dad saying. Like, it's going to hurt me worse than it's going to hurt you. We don't believe that. <laughs> you don't believe it. <laughs> but it's a good saying. It, the meaning behind it is. Like, we want, we want to see you become better. And that's what Paul's writing. He says, I see you as, as you're going down a path. And now when you read the, the book of Corinthians, it, you, it's, it's a letter in response to a letter he's received. So he's found out about some situations that are taking place in the city of Corinth that he needs to address. Now, Corinth is, is a city, it's a port city, so it means it has a, a lot of things. We would, we would relate really well with Corinth in our day. So Corinth was a, a port city. Um, it was a very prosperous city, so lots of money in, in Corinth. It also had a lot of education. It was a very highly educated area. Uh, another thing that it had was a lot of sexual immorality. In fact, uh, there's a, there was a saying historically, uh, it was a Greek saying that was basically translated would be uh, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. <laughs> That's how we would say it. Like, Corinth was known for, it, you, you were acting like a Corinthian, when, and that would be basically saying you're acting like a prostitute. And that, that would, I mean, that's literally what they would mean, is that you're, you're acting like someone who has no sexual purity, your sexual immorality, and that's, they, they had a saying then. So the, the city of Corinth is a very well-known city, but some of that same stuff that was going on in society was taking place in the church as well. And so Paul had planted the church there, he had set up leadership, and then he had gone on to other places, and in this place, so now he's writing back to them. Now, have you ever heard of, you ever hear of half a conversation on the phone, and you, like, you, you only hear your, the side that you can hear, uh, like the person's on the phone, and you're hearing them talk, and you're like, hey, what, are they talking about me? No, they're not talking about you. Shut up. Well, you can tell them. They're not talking about you. That's kind of what's happening here is that we're getting Paul's response, but we don't know all the story of what came before that. But we can dig into it. We can make some um, pretty well-educated guesses of what's happening. In the first four chapter, chapters of uh, 1 Corinthians, he's dealing on the topic of unity. There's been some disunity happening. And they're, they're, they're arguing of what teachers they should listen to. Should we listen to Apollos or should we listen to Paul? Well, I'm going to follow Jesus, those, those super spiritual ones. And he's been addressing this issue of unity in the church. And he's concluding that thought before he goes on to the next topic of what it means. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, hey, guys, listen. I'm not writing to make you upset, not trying to, to hurt your feelings, but here's some things that need to be addressed. And he, then he continues, he says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Now, this is a powerful verse. And this is where I want to kind of get our uh, foundation for this message, is that he says to them in Corinth, Hey, you've got, you guys have lots of people coming to talk to you and give you information but you don't have a lot of people who are investing in you. Now, how, how many of you, how many remember uh, your first phone? First time you got a phone. You got your first cell phone. Okay, two people remember getting a cell phone. Okay, everybody else, okay. 
I'll just guess that the rest of you have a cell phone and you, you remember, like some of you that are under the age of, of 25, you remember getting your first one and it came out of a little box. But those of us that are a little bit older, ours came in a briefcase. It was called a bag phone. How, how many remember a bag phone? That's be, <laughs> okay, there's all the old folks. That's us. That's, uh, like, we remember the bag phone. It was like a, the, for those of you that don't know what a bag phone is, you can Google it. But basically, it literally came in a bag. You unzip it. And then you had a, 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 an antenna that you had to put, a magnetic antenna that you put on top of your roof. And uh, <laughs> wind and rain and everything came in because you had to have that antenna out because it had terrible reception. And then it had a battery. Uh, it weighed about 12 pounds. Uh, and you would have this huge battery. And then, uh, the, but you thought you were the coolest. Now, in fact, I never had a bag phone because I, my family didn't have that kind of money. But when I started dating my wife, she had a bag phone in her car, and it was, like, the coolest thing ever. Like, she was, like, that was, like, I was, like, I'm marrying her. Her daddy's got money. Uh, <laughs> not why I married her. Uh, <laughs> but, so, but it was one of those, it was so cool because you had the ability to make a phone call at any moment, except for the fact that it had terrible reception. You had to be, like, on top of a hill and pointing in the right direction with your hands sticking out. The, you know, it's like you had to be just right. And then it also cost about $50 per minute to make a phone call. So it was like emergencies only. Now we have these phones that are like, like uh, they're amazing. Like they're literally, you can do everything on your phone. You, you can, like, my, my, my first phone was a flip phone, and it was a cool flip phone. It was one of the micro flip phones. And I was pumped. But it could do two things. Make a phone call and send text messages. And the text messages would take about oh, 15 minutes to send, hi, how are you? Because you had to, like, to get the J, you had to hit it three times, you know. <laughs> like, da, 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 da. And then you would have to mess up and then go back six. It was terrible. But, but you, guys, you guys are spoiled. But now the technology is amazing. And they say that we're the most connected generation ever. Because we have so much information available to us. Now, this is exactly what is going on in their day. It's happening today. You've got lots of information, but no real relationships. You've got lots of information. You've got lots of people wanting to get in your mind and tell you things, what you should think and how you should think. You've got lots of people telling you this is how you should think and this is what you should value. But you don't have the relationship to really value what should be valued. He continues on. He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. He says, uh, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He says, hey, you guys have lots of information coming at you, but you don't have the right relationships. And I have become your spiritual father. Now, he redefines fatherhood because he's saying, hey, basically, hey, it's not about your sperm donation that makes you a father. It's about whether you're invested into people or not. We have this idea that, you know, if, if the DNA test comes back, it's yours, as Murray would say. Child, yours. Then your dad. Well, yet yeah, you are a biological dad, but you're not a spiritual father. There's a big difference between somebody who's invested in your life and the one who donated the sperm to give you life. So he says, hey, I urge you then to be imitators of me. So don't just be a, a guy that just has the label dad be a father says 
He says that that's why I sent you, Timothy. I'm giving you an example, my beloved and faithful child or my son in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. See, society gives us a lot of information. And they were an educated place that had lots of people giving them information, but they didn't have the relationship. And relation, see, the, we, we, relationships are what gives us value and what helps us move forward. And in, in the age of, edu- of information that we live in today, we struggle with this. In fact, I read an article this past week that said that we are, yes, the most connected generation ever, but in reality, we're very disconnected. Because we're disconnected, one, by time. Because if you have that phone in front of you, you're spending time on it rather than the relationships that you have in front of you. And you see this all the time. I mean, you go to restaurants and you, you'll, you'll like, we, we get on our kids about it, but we're, we're all guilty of this, sitting at the table, and we're all doing this rather than connecting with who's there. And so time, you only have so much time. So you're either going to use it on your device or use it with the people that are with. So we're disconnected by time. We're also disconnected by ignorance. Like, how much, how we know how to use the, the, the technology or not. We, we have a, uh, an ongoing, and uh, if you have kids that are over the age of like three, you have this ongoing debate how long they can be on their screens. We have that debate in our house. And the pushback that I always get is, you just don't understand. You don't get it, Dad. You just don't get it. You're ignorant. Happy Father's Day. Um, <laughs> you just don't get it, how important it is that I'm on this Xbox or how important it is I, that I make sure my, 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 my streak is going. I got my streak going, and if you mess up my streak, so then that just makes me more apt to ground them longer. So the streak is ruined. <laughs> <laughs> but th- th- we have th- like we're disconnected because there's a generational understanding of what it, how we use these these devices. And there's also this disconnect between parents and children in the area of information because now kids don't have to come to their parents for answers. They can get their answers from from Siri or Siri or whatever her name is. I got corrected in the first service. Uh, you can hey hey Google. You can get the information. And so the, the no longer is there a relational development between parents. And so, yes, I love technology. I love the benefits. That, I love the fact that we are streaming online. I love the fact that we can have the jail campus. And all that comes by the benefit of technology. But technology is a tool that we can either use for positive or for negative. And so the, the, the area that we're disconnected is, is not, that's where the enemy sneaks in. Because he comes after relationships. Most of the time when we have relational issues, we're fighting with somebody, it's not that, that person. And it's usually not even the issue because the issue ends up being pretty minor. But it's the enemy trying to come in and divide it, from the very beginning of time. You look at this, what took place with Adam and Eve was that it was the enemy trying to get in and divide. It, the end of the Old Testament, the last verse, the last two verses in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4 Verses five, uh, four and six says, "He will restore the hearts of the father." Speaking of the prophet that was going to come in the example of Elijah, which would be John the Baptist, was saying John the Baptist would come to introduce us to Jesus because he was going to restore the hearts of fathers to their children, and the children's hearts to their fathers. See, this is the reason Jesus came to this earth was to restore the the the, the effect 
of fatherlessness. He was going to bring that back. Now, if you don't believe me that, that there's a, when there's a bad relationship between a father and a child, it's harmful. Statistics plays it out over and over again. Here, here's, let me show you uh, here in, uh, some stats that are just devastating. For example, a, a child from a father's home is five times more likely to commit suicide. Five times more likely to commit suicide. It is eight times more likely to serve a prison sentence. Nine times more likely to, to drop out of high school. Ten times more likely to, use, uh, to abuse chemical substances. Twenty times more likely to have behavior disorders. Thirty-two times more likely to, to run away. Now, I got those statistics from places like the, the uh, I put down there, the U.S. Department of Health, the National Principals Association, uh, the Center for uh, Disease Control. These statistics are coming from them. I'm not making these up. Here's some more. A, a child from a father's home is 33 more times more likely to be seriously abused, 73 times more likely to be ab- fatally abused. 70 times more likely to become pregnant as a minor. 71 times more likely to have an STT, STD. 164 times more likely to be a single mom. This is a, a devastating impact on our society when children do not have a father in their home. Now, you're like, wow, Josh, we feel great now. Here, here's the thing, though. You, yeah, th- these are terrible statistics. But anytime society has a problem, God has the solution. Anytime we, uh, we see this is that, we, that there's a, a, a situation in society, God has the answer to the, to the situation. And in this situation, where we need to begin, it, I, I'm praying this, that today some of you will leave here radically changed. But some of you are going to begin the healing process. Because it's, it's a process that, that we need to go through to learn what it means to, to have this, this right place with our Father in heaven. The first thing that you need to know, and the first step that we take on this journey, is that you need to let God heal your father wound. You need to let God heal your father wound. Now, a lot of times we immediately will be like, well, some of you, I, my, I'm a perfect example of this. I don't have any wounds from my biological father. My biological father was there for me. He, was an ama- he is an amazing man. He has invested in me. He has, continues to invest in me and my children. He's been there for me through thick and thin. When I've messed up, he was there. He, was, he worked multiple jobs to, to provide for our family. He, he provided a, a, a home where, where he showed us an example, what it means to follow Jesus Christ. So I don't have any from my biological father. But I have some, from, some wounds from some spiritual fathers. As some of you may have known a little bit of the story of when we launched this church, we ha- I had several fatherly spiritual figures in my life just flat out do harm. They, they caused hurt in my life that I didn't know could be caused by someone that wasn't related to me. The, the hurt that they caused and the, the, the things that they said to me and the things they said about me were hurtful. And, and all of it was, it caused a wound in my life that it took years for me to get over. Even as I was pastoring this church, I was struggling to have a relationship with my Heavenly Father because I looked at the man who represented 
God and that role that he had in my life. And he did so much harm to me that I, my, the bitterness, I, I mean, it would come up at the weirdest places. I, I remember three years after launching this church that we were in a, at a, at a shopping center and I saw the person who did that harm in my life. And you, the, the gut feeling that I had, the, 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 like I almost was like physically sick. I could feel the, the, my ears getting red and burning. And it was all because of the wound that he had caused in my life. And I had allowed it to sit and to, and to fester. And I was allowing that to impact my relationship with my Heavenly Father. And Paul writes about this in, in Ephesians chapter 4. And he says, he's talking about this with the relationships that we have and how they need to be healthy. And he writes this lengthy portion here. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. And here's where he goes with it. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, and just as you've been called to the glorious hope for the future, to the one glorious hope of the future. He says, you, you guys need to understand, you've got you to gotta bring out this, all the healing to take place. And he continues in verse 16. He says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. See, God wants us to be in a growing, healthy relationship with our Heavenly Father, and it's directly connected to our relationship with each other. The problem is, is when we have wounds that are in our lives, and, and so how do we, yeah, Josh, that sounds really nice about having, letting God, allowing God to heal your, your, the wounds of your father, but how? James lays it out for us the clearest. In James uh, chapter 5, verse 16, he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So that you may be healed. So how do we take, move in the, the healing process? In fact, it doesn't, Jesus isn't included in this. Jesus forgives your sins, but to find healing, we have to have each other. He says you have to confess your sins to each other. Now, the first thing that you're going to push back on is, well, what do you mean sins? I, I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't lied in the last 45 minutes. I haven't, like, like I haven't done anything that's really that bad. And sins, though, so many times we think it's things that we do so negatively. Sin is anything that disconnects us to our Heavenly Father. And so if we want to find healing in our relationship with God, our Father, we have to allow there to be a relationship healing inside the context of each other. Now, this happens when we confess our hurts, our wounds, our sins, our failures to one another. I'm not talking about having a, a, a confession service right now. Okay, this happens within the context of small groups, our connect groups. We have amazing connect groups. We have amazing connect group leaders. But as I was getting ready for this service, uh, this message, I went back and I looked at some, uh, some data that we have. And it, it turns out that last semester we had 14 connect groups. And that's about an average for us. It's about 14 to 17 connect groups for our, for our church family. Now, what's interesting is over 60% of them are for females. They're geared towards females. Over 75% of the participants 
are females. Because females get it. You guys are relational. It works that way. You know how good it feels to get that stuff off your chest. Now, just FYI, getting it off your chest is not equal to gossip. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. But let me talk to men because we, we're not real good at this. We're not let real good at letting people into our lives and sharing where we've been wounded, where we've been hurt. I, I don't, I, I mean, it took me a long time to even admit that the man that hurt my, me, spiritually hurt me, was, I, it took me forever to even admit that. Because I didn't want people to know that I could be hurt. I didn't want people to think that. And so we have to pr- create a place where we can find healing and, 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 and allow ourselves to be there. John Eldridge wrote a book called Wild at Heart. And he deals with this exact top topic. Wild at Heart, he says that when you have a father wound, you, you, uh, and if you don't allow it to be healed, you become a poser. That's right. You're a poser. I guess that's a new thing that you can throw at people. You're a poser. Uh, <laughs> but a, you, you end up being a poser. He puts it in two terms. You, <laughs> are you laughing at me or with me? Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, okay. We, we, he puts it in two terms. We, are, we become posers as men when we don't let our hearts be healed by the, from the father wound. In two ways. One, we either become super aggressive, so we become aggressive men. Me, man, you, woman, listen. I don't care that it's going to cause us to go in debt and lose all our money. I'm the man of the house, so you need to listen. And so we get super aggressive, and we use that as a position, and it's not healthy. Or we become super passive, or whatever, whatever you want to do. Yeah, yeah, go to church, take the kids with you. I'm just going to sit here and watch the TV. And we become unhealthy in either direction, and we put on masks to hide the wounds that we, that we have. And we need to allow God to put us in a position where we can find healing with each other. I love the way that the AA says it. It says, you're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. And so we need to put ourselves in a position where we get rid of our secrets and allow the healing to take place. And that leads us right into the next uh, point there, is that when we allow God to take, put us in a position where our hearts are being healed, that we, be, that we find fathers and we become fathers. That we find fathers and we become fathers. See, all of us have wounds that were given to us by father figures in our lives. We're all dealing with it at some level. And so the... Yeah, you didn't have a great father. Yeah, you grew up being abused. Yes, you, he emotionally abused you and did things to you. He caused that harm. But we've got to stop whining about it and find the good fathers that we can put on our lives. We need to find fathers that are, invest in us. In fact, God says that in, in Psalms, chapter 68, uh, he, it says, the, the psalmist wrote, father, he, that God is the father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. Look at this. God places the lonely in connect groups. Puts them in families. He places them in places where they can find their healing. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. We, we, we find this place when we seek out fathers. Now, the truth is, you're, we have to find this place. I, I've, I have uh, people that I've allowed in my life. When we launched this church, of course, this morning, I sent out text messages to my father. 
sent up. My first one was to my biological father. Thanks for being one who invests in me, loves me, and continues to support me. You're amazing father and grandfather. Then I sent ones out to uh, Paul Cook, who's one of our overseers. And I said, thank you for being invested in me, for, for being there for me when I needed someone to, 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 to support me, to, to show me that I was, I was loved. I sent one, another one I sent to Monty. I said, Monty, thanks for being the spiritual father to, in my life and for, uh, for investing in our ministry. And then he sent me back a guy rollerblading and dancing with just biker shirts on. So not sure. But, that's why I love him because he's like, I, I even sent him back I said I send you an emotional like sappy text message and you send me that back dot 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 that's why I love you but we have to have people in our lives that we, we allow to invest in us Timothy was Paul put Timothy in this position in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 20 verse 2 he says he's writing to Timothy he says you have heard me teach these things Teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. So you've heard that. I've been a father to you. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to fathers. Find a father. Be a father. We have to have these in our lives. There, we have to look for spiritual fathers and, and stop whining that we don't have them in our lives. Go find them and say, I need you in my life. When I went to, I, we launched this church, one of the, my biggest weak points was my time. And how to, how to use it valuably. And I said, I, I don't know how to do this. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm always coming against deadlines. And I, this is not working right. And so I, I let Monty in on that. And Monty began to give me resources and direct me and chastise me. And I, for like several months, would send him my, my daily schedule so that he could be like, hey, why are you wasting time doing this? Shouldn't somebody else be doing this? And he would invest in me because I let him in. You have to find a spiritual father that you're going to let in. Find that person and then be that person. Now, here's a couple. I, I, these aren't in your notes, but maybe you want to jot them down. Some, th- some act, uh, attributes of spiritual fathers. Number one, they need to be active and involved in your life. They need to be active and involved in your life. If, if you don't let them in, they can't help you. The second thing is you, they need to create belonging. You need to be connected to them. This is the beautiful thing about our church is that when you came in here, I'll, I'll give you an example. Illustration is the best way. So have you ever gone to somebody's house? Maybe the guys will relate to this. You're, you're, you're dating a girl. You go into the house. You, the mom says hi to you. The, the brothers and siblings say hi to you. But the dad sits on the recliner and doesn't move and doesn't even acknowledge that you exist. Are you comfortable? No. You're not comfortable. But when he gets off the recliner and shakes your hand, and looks you in the eye, and even though it's intimidating, you now belong. The way you felt in that place changes completely. When somebody comes into this building, they're coming to be, they need to feel that they belong here. That when they walk in, that we're here for them, that we're, we're coming alongside them, and we're shaking their hand and saying, you belong here. That's what a spiritual father does. Another, thing that, another att- uh, uh, attribute is that they affirm and approve. They affirm and approve. Now, they don't, that doesn't mean you blatantly just approve of everything, every action they do. That means you approve of them as they grow. Hey, you're going through a process, and we're there for you. I'm affirming you. I believe in you. I see something in you that's greater than what you see in yourself. The, the, the last one there, or oh, two things, is one, they're providers. A spiritual father provides. 
let, let me jump on a, a little soapbox. Ladies, single ladies. Oh, you single ladies? Look at here. Oh, you single ladies? Listen, listen. If a man takes you on a date and he then asks you to pay for your half, when he takes you home and drops you off, at the, and he says, hey, can, can I see you again? You can tell him this. No, my pastor won't allow it. If he ain't going to pay for your dinner, the cheapskate ain't going to be able to take care of you later on. Mm-hmm. Okay, there, there it is. In all, ser- in all seriousness, spiritual fathers provide. They provide a place where you can grow. They give you the resources you need to develop. They're going to be coming alongside you and providing. That is what happens in this house, in this church, in this family. We are only able to grow at the level that we invest. We cap ourselves out. If, we're gonna put, if we want to see our children's ministry grow, if we want it to be the best place that it can possibly be, then we need to invest into it. If we want to see our children develop in their way and their walk with God, then we have to invest into it. Stop sending it off and hoping somebody else does it. Stop throwing a, a version Bible app in front of them and hoping that they grow from it. You invest in them. That's good preaching, Josh. The last thing is a spiritual father will protect you. A spiritual father will protect you. This is where we, we, need, we need some men that are willing to step into the gap and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to step in that place. The last thing that we can, as we go in this process, and the, probably the most important thing is that you know God as father. That you know God as Jesus, when he, when he referred to God, he referred to him as Father. When the disciples asked him, how do we pray? He says, pray this way, our Father in heaven. Paul, in every one of his greetings, in every single letter that he writes, begins by regest- addressing it as, hey, greetings from our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Every time, he wanted that to be a central point of how we understood our God was as a Father. And if, in Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 15, he says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, or Daddy. Call him Daddy. I found a perfect illustration of this and how our Heavenly Father wants to be the example and Paul is the example of. In 1992, I'm going to show the guys show this video. In 1992, the uh, at the Olympics, this gentleman uh, Derek Redmond uh, is here. He was already had the record for the British uh, 400 meter dash, and he's he's here in the uh, he's in the semifinals of the 1992 Olympics. And all of a sudden, about 175 meters from the finish line, he pulls his hamstring. Every dream that he had worked so hard to fulfill comes crashing to a halt. And he's there, and he's sitting there, and the, the race finishes, and the camera begins to pan back to Derek as he's in agony, and the people were there trying to help him. And Derek later says that he then jumped up, refused any help, and said, I'm going to finish my race. I'm going to finish my race. And as he's trying and struggling, and you can see the pain, the agony on his face, and all the disappointment that he's going through, a man from the crowd comes alongside. Doesn't let anybody stop him. That's his dad. His dad jumped out of the stands, 
came alongside and knew the pain and the turmoil and what all the emotion he was going through in that moment. And he said, there's no way I'm staying in the stands and watching that happen. He jumps down the track and he pulls his son alongside of him and they finish the race. See, just as <laughs> when he tells him to get away, y'all punk, leave him alone. In that moment, can you imagine what it was to be that father? See, Paul said, I want you to see the example I'm giving to you as I follow the example that Jesus gave Jesus gave the example that he wasn't going to stay in heaven and let mankind go through the agony. He stepped out of the stands and said, I'm coming in and I'm intervening. And the wound that you have from your fathers will be healed by our heavenly father. He comes alongside and he says, I'm going to pay your debt. I'm going to take away your sin. I was the father. And that's the opportunity you have this morning. Many of you need to begin a new relationship with your God, your Heavenly Father, and recognizing that our earthly father is meant to follow the example of our Heavenly Father. But so many times we do the opposite. We, we project the image of our earthly father onto our Heavenly Father. And today I want to remove all that and I want us to look at our Heavenly Father as the one who said, I will let nothing stop me from coming alongside you and helping you finish your race. So today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to give us a moment to respond to His Holy Spirit. And the Bible says it's repentance, that we turn to Him, our Father. Lord Jesus, you're welcome to pray this prayer with me. You can pray it in your own words. You can repeat the words just as I say them. You can say them out louder to yourself, but let's pray this prayer. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming to this earth to heal the wounds. Thank you for paying the price for our sins. We turn to you and we follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.